This episode was made possible by the generous support of listeners like you. For more information, please visit patreon.com slash author Chris Lester. I strive to make this podcast a safe and inclusive place for my listeners. If I've missed any content warnings, please let me know. Content warnings for this episode include strong language, mature themes, and female-female sex, including oral sex, mutual masturbation, dominance, and submission. Listener discretion is advised. You're listening to The Raven and the Writing Desk, the weekly podcast about the writings of Chris Lester and Liminal Corvid Press. This is episode 365. Hello, Metamorphs. Welcome back to The Raven and the Writing Desk. I am Chris Lester, your guide to the fantastical world of Metamorph City. You can learn more about me and my work at chrislester.org and metamorphcity.com. This is the show where I share my fresh new fiction with you. I'll also tell you the latest in my writing endeavors. More on that later in the show. For now, let's get to this week's story. Today I'm bringing you Chapter 16 of Honor Reclaimed by L.C. Williams. If you're new to the show, go back to Episode 350 to hear this story from the beginning. The following recap will contain spoilers. In last week's episode, Honor confronted her cousin Tyrrell about his after-dinner speech in front of the Drowlings and all of their guests. She pointed out that his jokes during the speech were actually grave insults against her honor, dignity, and character, and issued a formal challenge against him because of it. By ancient custom, Lord Drowling was required to give her grievance a hearing. Lord Bellevue tried to silence his daughter, worried about being embarrassed by another woman bringing shame on his family. But Honor refused to budge. With calm, icy dignity, Honor explained how Tyrrell's sexist, patriarchal, and heteronormative attitude had insulted both her and Lady Delphinia, infantilizing them and portraying them as helpless maidens in need of rescue by brave men. He further insulted their character by suggesting that their attentions were for sale, that the men of House Drowling had earned the right to a dance with them, because they had come to look for Honor and Delphinia when they had gone missing. She pointed out that while Tyrrell might feel gratitude if a man rescued him, he would not have felt obliged to let that man put his hands on his body and lead him around a dance floor while he smiled and laughed and pretended to enjoy it. The laughter that broke out in the room at this image seemed to enrage Tyrrell more than anything else she had yet said. It was then that Honor dropped her biggest bombshell. She cannot give these men her affections because it would be a lie. She is not attracted to men at all, and she will not marry a person she cannot love. This provoked a chorus of whispers around the room, but Honor stood tall and proud. She remembered the advice noble Yasmin had given her. When you are honest and unashamed, no one can use it against you. This, at last, provoked the Drowlings into action. Lord Drowling dismissed her challenge as a stunt to advertise her deviant desires. At the same time, Lady Drowling began drawing on the enchantment that she had woven through the minds of the guests, pressuring Honor to withdraw the challenge and submit to her elders. 
but Honor was protected by her mother's butterfly amulet, which showed her a clear image of her truest self, joyfully submitting not to her elders or to a husband, but to Natasha, her beloved mistress. She held firm, resisted the mind magic, and continued to insist on Tyrell's apology. If he refuses, the challenge will be taken to the Council of Peers for adjudication. At this point, the Drowlings turned their attention to the assembled crowd, which included a quorum of the Council's members. They pushed hard on the enchantment, trying to get the Councillors to agree that Honor's challenge was baseless and should be dismissed. And that's when Honor triggered the counterspell that Wizard Araba had prepared for her. With the Drowlings actively using the spell, all of the guests were immediately aware that their minds were under attack, gripped with sudden terror, just as Honor had been. At that moment, Duke Thomas marched into the hall, accompanied by his personal guards, Metamore City constables, and Araba. The court wizard blew up the mind-control spell, freeing the guests, and Lady Drowling collapsed from the resulting backlash. Duke Thomas then explained for the crowd how they had been subjected to an illegal mind-control spell, and that Lord Tyrrell had been complicit in the plot. At Thomas's direction, the constables placed Tyrrell and the Drowlings under arrest. Honor Reclaimed The House of Bellevue Book 3 By L.C. Williams Narrated by Vivian Ferrari Chapter 16 Forgiveness Natasha watched with satisfaction as the last of the prisoners were carried aloft by the Mariposa's lift cage. More constables would be waiting in the cargo bay to escort them to their jail cells, actually staterooms with the locks reversed, since the Mariposa did not have a brig. She snorted and shook her head. Even as prisoners, the nobles travel in comfort. That was all right, though. From everything she had heard, the judgment that awaited them back at Metamore would be anything but comfortable. Unsanctioned mind magic carried the threat of years in prison, and the Council of Peers could strip them of their noble titles. Unlike Major Rutgers, these people had harmed their fellows in the peerage. There would be no sweeping of their crimes under the rug. Most of the Metamore City constables were inside the lodge, questioning witnesses and sweeping the grounds for any more suspicious-looking spellwork. Wizard Araba was with them, ready to disarm anything that might be dangerous. The Duke's guards had secured the perimeter, making sure that none of Drowling's staff or junior members snuck off into the woods with important evidence. Natasha was guarding the stay lines for the lift cage, since it was the only means available for ferrying people up and down from the Mariposa. Captain Vasquez had issued her a rifle with a bayonet, along with a clean pair of the coveralls worn by the airship's crew. Between the gun and the uniform, she almost felt like she was back in the army again. Irene approached out of the shadows behind one of the outbuildings. The moon was high in the sky now, and Natasha could clearly see her face, but it was still hard to read her emotions as she nodded to Natasha in greeting. Nat, she said. She sounded friendly enough, but she did not smile. Natasha inclined her head to the guard. 
Irene. The Irambian woman came up to stand beside her next to the stay lines. Her eyes scanned the surrounding buildings, always watchful, but her posture was not as stiff as it could have been. No one had tried anything foolish with the drownlings in custody, and Natasha could tell the guards were starting to relax, if only slightly. This is a hell of a thing, Irene said, nodding toward the main lodge in front of them. Mind control magic? She shook her head in disbelief. When you said there was a plot against the noble houses, I never imagined something like this. Neither did nobles, Natasha said. This is why it almost worked. Irene blew out air between her lips, a sound too forceful to be called a sigh. <sighs> Would have done, if it hadn't been for you and your lady. And also you, Natasha reminded her. You sent telegram to noble Alex, like I asked. Alex went to Duke while I was still waiting for Hansen. I do not know if they would have believed me otherwise. We all should have believed you, Irene said, sounding rueful. I didn't think that telegram was going to make any difference, Nat. I was half convinced they'd lock you up until they could have a doctor look at you. Her eyes flicked over to Natasha, and she could see the remorse in them. I'm sorry I doubted you. Natasha shrugged easily. You had reasons. Besides, it does not matter if you thought it would help or not. You did it anyway. She reached over and thumped one hand on Irene's shoulder, squeezing it gently. And for that, my friend, I am grateful. Irene smiled up at her and covered Natasha's hand with one of her own. You are welcome. The door to the main lodge opened, spilling a pool of light out onto the snow. Honor emerged, once more bundled up in her winter clothes, followed by a group of house-drowling attendants with her luggage. A constable followed behind the help, in case anyone tried anything reckless. They all trooped out in the direction of the stay lines, where the lift cage was now descending once more. Natasha's eyes locked on Honor. Beside her, in her peripheral vision, she could see Irene looking in the same direction. Is that your girl? Irene asked. Natasha grinned and felt sudden relieved tears welling up in her eyes. This word is too small for what she is to me. Irene considered. I don't know. She looks pretty small from here. Natasha laughed at that. She is little, she agreed. But her heart is big. Irene was a little too short herself to comfortably reach Natasha's shoulder, so she gave her an encouraging pat on the back instead. Take good care of her, then. Natasha nodded solemnly. I will do my best. Irene slipped quietly back into the shadows, continuing her rounds, Honor had gotten close enough now that she recognized Natasha, and she broke into as much of a run as the snow and her short legs allowed. Natasha ran forward to meet her, picked her up and spun her around, earning a delighted shriek of laughter. They were being observed too closely to risk a proper kiss, but Natasha buried her face against the side of Honor's neck and pressed her lips to soft, warm skin. You did it she said, and let all the pride she felt come out in her voice.
Honor copied her move, planting a gentle kiss against Natasha's throat. We did it, she said. You, me, Alex, Delphinia, all of us. We did it together. Da, Natasha agreed. After giving Honor one more tight squeeze, she set her back down. Her lady was flushed and beaming, and the sight of it warmed Natasha's heart. They turned back to the lift cage, which had touched down and was being loaded with Honor's luggage. There would be enough room left over for them to ride up along with it. Is Alex still on board? Honor asked. Natasha nodded. Duke told all civilians to stay on board. Less risk of someone getting hurt. He certainly brought enough guards and constables with him, Honor said. I can't believe we didn't see them when Delphinia and I came aboard. They were in crew mess hall getting dinner, Natasha said. We did not know how soon we would be going to lodge, or if there would be fight when we got there. It's best not to fight on empty stomach, or too full of one. The last of the luggage was strapped in now, and the drowling staff bowed to honor and headed back toward the lodge, their police escort in tow. Natasha held the door to the lift cage open for honor, and she stepped inside. She had used the cage enough times now that she no longer needed any help with the straps, so Natasha sealed the door and fastened her own restraints. The cage began to climb upward. Is Lord Bellevue coming with us back to city? Natasha asked. Honor shook her head. He was badly shaken by the drowning's mind magic, and even more so by Tyrrell and Graham's betrayal. I think he needs some time to be alone, to think and to grieve. Wizard Arab promised to set fresh wards around his room tonight. That should let him sleep unmolested, if he can sleep. The cabbage sled will take him back in the morning. Natasha considered this, in light of what they knew about the Mariposa and its crew. Perhaps that is best, she said. Honor looked up at her, eyes worried. He will blame himself for what happened, she said quietly. It wasn't his fault. I chose to be there. But he will blame himself just the same. Natasha swallowed back a lump in her throat. It is hard, knowing that someone you love was hurt and you could not stop it. Honor smiled, a little sadly. She reached across the space between them and took Natasha's hand. I am here now, she said. I am safe and sane, and we are together. That's all that matters. Natasha smiled back, squeezed Honor's hand. They rode in silence the rest of the way up to the airship. They arrived in the cargo bay and found the ship buzzing with activity, getting ready to make their way back to Metamore. Natasha and Honor hurried back to the passenger section, where they would be out of the way. Captain Vasquez had assigned them one of the largest staterooms on the ship, which meant that it could hold a full-sized bed, a sink and fold-out flush toilet, and little else. Natasha helped Honor out of her winter coat and overskirts, then stripped off her coveralls, leaving on only her undershirt and drawers. Meanwhile, Honor changed out of the hunting ensemble she had worn underneath, putting on a nightgown instead. They packed away everything they could in Honor's trunk, which slid into a luggage compartment that hung over the bed. 
Natasha would have to be careful getting out of bed in the morning, lest she give herself a concussion. With the luggage packed away, Honor sank down exhaustedly on the foot of the mattress. She made a face that told Natasha she'd sat on something, and after rooting around in the blankets, she uncovered a small note card inscribed with both of their names. She picked it up and examined it curiously. The captain is inviting us to breakfast tomorrow morning, she said, her brow creased in a slight frown. How odd. Surely it won't take that long to fly back to the city. It is already late, Natasha pointed out. They will fly back to Matthias Airfield, moor the ship, and go to sleep. No passengers will come until the morning, so the room is ours for the night. Honor frowned at the narrow confines of the stateroom. I will admit to being tired enough to sleep anywhere, but I would like to get home as soon as possible. Now Natasha was confused. You... you do not want to stay. Honor, if anything, seemed even more confused than Natasha. Is there some reason I would? I thought you would want to spend time with them. Natasha sank down onto the bed beside Honor. They said they would like that. I thought you would as well. They who? Honor pressed. Wait, is Captain Vasquez an androgyne? I saw her wearing trousers, but I didn't think... Honor must have seen the astonishment on Natasha's face because she trailed off. They looked at each other awkwardly for several seconds. I do believe, Honor said, that we are talking past one another. Duh, Natasha said feelingly. Honor, this is your mother's airship. Captain Vasquez is her wife. Honor's jaw fell open. Her eyes went wide. My... And you're just telling me this now? I thought you knew, Natasha cried. Sylvia went to cargo pay to fetch you herself. She said she wanted to be first one to see you. What? Honor exclaimed. No, we met a crewman named Billy. He was... She trailed off again, and Natasha could see her making a belated series of connections at lightning speed. She looked down at her lap, stared at her upturned hands. Oh, gods, she whispered. In a low, shaky voice, Honor described her two encounters with the crew member who called herself Billy. Natasha listened with a kind of appalled fascination. So... Your mother goes to meet you for first time in fifteen years, she said slowly. She disguises herself as men, puts on accent to make you think she is poor, and then tells you she has daughters she loves but had to leave behind. Because the world judged her for what she wanted, Honor murmured. Good heavens! All the clues were there, and I didn't see it. Why would she do this? Natasha growled. She told us that she wanted to speak to you alone. I did not think she meant to lie to you. She didn't lie to me, Honor sighed. Off Natasha's incredulous look, she amended. Not about the important things, anyway. She... Look, I'm sure she knows the sort of things they say about her in Metamore. She must have been worried that I would hate her, that 
I wouldn't give her a chance. She let out a rueful chuckle. And she might have been right. Three months ago, she would have been right. But I understand her better now, I think. I know what it's like to be afraid to show your true self. Natasha raised her eyebrows. So, you are not angry with her? I am angry with her, she thought, but she kept that part to herself. Honor shook her head. I told Billy I could not judge him, that I was sure he did what he thought was best for himself and his daughter. And I meant it. I don't know if I could have said that to her, had I known who she really was. And clearly, she badly needed to hear it. She shrugged, a small, serene gesture. What is the point in being angry? I was angry at you for keeping something from me that I thought I had a right to know, because I couldn't listen to why you felt you had to do it. She grimaced. I almost lost you because of it. I won't make that mistake again. Natasha felt the tears welling up in her eyes again. Your father is right. You have grown up, little one. The words were out of her mouth before she realized she had said them, and hastily she added, I am sorry. I know you said not to call you that. Honor reached out and took Natasha's hand, gripping it between both of hers. Natasha met her eyes. They were serious, but gentle. Honor lifted Natasha's hand to her chest, then fished out the butterfly amulet and pressed it against Natasha's fingertips. I am yours now, mistress, Honor said softly. You can call me whatever pleases you. Natasha stared into those brilliant blue eyes for a long, long moment. Then she pulled Honor to herself, kissing her fiercely, desperately, all of the tension and fear and dread of the last day and a half giving way to ardent need. Honor climbed into her lap and threw her arms around Natasha's neck, her hands running through Natasha's hair and down her back. Together they toppled backward onto the mattress, and in a few minutes' desperate fumbling, they stripped each other down to bare skin, their clothes scattered in every direction like wrapping paper on the first day of Yule. Honor was bold with her affections, kissing and caressing Natasha's body all over, finally crawling down the length of her frame until she knelt between Natasha's thighs. She lowered her head to just above Natasha's pista, and then looked up, smiling hungrily. "'May I please you now, mistress?' she asked, a playful note in her voice. Natasha's body ached with need, and she nodded. Her voice came out hoarse as she said, "'You may, little one.' Honor extended her tongue and began tracing light, fleeting touches over and around Natasha's clit. Slender hands caressed the insides of her thighs. Hot breath stirred the thatch of hair around her cleft. Her arousal built, slow and sweet, like warm honey flowing through her. Natasha luxuriated in the sensations, watching with a sense of deep contentment as her lady's head worked gently back and forth, up and down between her legs. Her lady. Her pet. Her little one.
hers. She reached down and stroked Honor's head, then dug her fingers in her braids and carefully worked them loose. Honor's hair fanned out around her head in a mane of loose curls, spilling down over the pale skin of her shoulders and brushing Natasha's thighs. Honor looked up at her then, her eyes glinting, then latched her mouth over Natasha's clit and sucked hard. The jolt of sensation made her gasp for air, her hands fisting involuntarily in Honor's hair, pulling it taut and tugging hard on her scalp. Honor moaned against Natasha's sex, and the added vibration sent her body into climax. Natasha pushed down on Honor's head as she came, grinding her pet's face against her pista. This rough treatment only seemed to make Honor more excited, and she bobbed and wriggled against her, humming and lapping and nibbling and sucking with abandon. Two more orgasms flooded over Natasha, each one stronger than the last. When she could take no more, she grabbed Honor by the scruff and dragged her up the length of her own body. Their lips met in a fiery kiss, and Honor moaned again. Natasha drew back and looked at her. Her face was covered with Natasha's sweat and juices, her makeup smeared, her hair damp and matted down against her forehead. She looked a mess. And she was beautiful. Honor opened her eyes again and looked down at Natasha, her expression adoring. Natasha felt the heady thrill of domination. She had taken this highborn girl and made her her own, used her for her own pleasure, and taught her to love it. For the outside world, they would keep up their pretenses. Honor would play the part of the lady, and Natasha her devoted companion— but behind closed doors, their true selves would emerge. Honor, the adoring, submissive servant, and Natasha, the mistress who would love her, cherish her, and protect her. The prospect of it no longer filled Natasha with fear or uncertainty. It felt good and right, the way things were meant to be. This is who we are, she thought. This is who we are meant to be. Honor's bottomless blue eyes twinkled at her. Did I do well, mistress? Natasha laughed and drew her into a tight embrace. You did well, little one. You did very, very well. They lay there, Honor's head pillowed against Natasha's chest, until the air of the cabin turned chilly against their exposed skin. Natasha helped Honor clean herself off in the sink, and then they put out the lights and climbed under the covers together. With Honor spooned in front of her, Natasha slowly and tenderly stoked her to several orgasms of her own. Now sated, Honor went limp and drowsy in her arms, the long day's fatigue catching up with her once more. Soon she was fast asleep, and Natasha lay there listening to her breathing, feeling the gentle rising and falling of her chest. She thought again of her father, and his hateful, bitter words at their last parting. You will have no one. She smiled, because she knew at last that he had been wrong. Father had not been a prophet, or a seer, or even a wise man. He was just a bitter old fool, consumed by anger, fear, and regret. His curses had no power over her. She had stepped beyond her own fear, 
had dared to love and be loved in return, and in the process had found a life that that sad, bitter man could never have dreamed of. Not today, father, she thought, but the words came to her softer now, not with defiant anger, but with pity. Not today, and not ever. You do not know me. You never did. And with that, Natasha realized that she and her father had nothing more to say to each other. As she had done on the day she left the farm, she turned her back on him and walked away. And this time, his ghost did not follow her. That night, Natasha slept peacefully. And that's the end of chapter 16. Come back next time, when Honor and Natasha have breakfast with the captain, and Honor gets to meet her mother for real this time. Chapters of The House of Bellevue will be released at a rate of one chapter per week for 51 weeks. If you'd like to listen to it faster, all three books are available now on Amazon and Audible. To learn more about these characters and their world, please visit www. .authorlcwilliams.com Ralph Waldo Emerson said, The way to write is to throw your body at the mark when your arrows are spent. So stay on target, because it's time for the weekly writing report. This update covers the week of January 7th through January 13th. I wrote 3,951 words this week, over the course of 5.25 hours, for an average writing speed of 753 words per hour. I wrote on 6 out of 7 days this week, and as of Friday night, I've gone 24 days without breaking my chain. For those who've come to the show in the last year or so, that means that for 24 straight days, I've either worked on the podcast or done at least 250 words of writing, or both. This week I continued my practice of writing at bedtime, and while there were definitely some days when I was able to do this longer than others, it's continuing to be a successful and productive way to make progress on my stories. My Kevin story, All the World of Fire, continues to reveal itself to me as I work on it. I'm at the point now where I know the answers to the important mysteries about what happened to Ember, but I'm still working out the details of how Kevin and Abby will solve those mysteries. Meanwhile, I have to continue developing the other characters' relationships with Ember, seeding bits of unresolved conflict that will create drama later. I have to show what the Hive is doing to try to get Ember to join Westfall Academy, which has definite advantages, but would also come with the same debt trap that ensnared Daniel in making the cut. Lastly, I need to show her working with Kevin to master her powers, gaining the skill that she'll need when the story hits its climax. Those are all details that I haven't fleshed out as much as Ember's backstory, because the writing process generally leads me to better answers than I would have chosen if I'd worked it all out ahead of time in an outline. Balancing all these different elements is tricky, and it makes for an interesting challenge, but I think it's also helping me to keep moving forward, because if I'm stuck on one thread, I can switch over to another thread and advance that part of the plot. I'm now in chapter 17, and the manuscript is over 45,000 words. 
If you'd like to share your thoughts about the show, send your feedback in text or audio to metamorecityfeedback at gmail.com. To leave a voicemail, dial area code 641-715-3900, then enter extension 255-082, followed by the pound sign. My Facebook is facebook.com slash author Chris Lester. The fan group is fans of Metamore City on Facebook, and our Discord server is Metamore City. I'm there pretty often, so come say hi. If you like this show, please consider leaving a review at Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or Podchaser.com. It really helps people find the show. That's all for this week. I'll be back next time with more fresh new fiction. Until then, keep it on the bright side. This is Chris Lester, signing out. The contents of this podcast are copyright 2022 by Chris Lester and Liminal Corvid Press. The show is released under a Creative Commons, attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives license. So don't change it, don't sell it, but feel free to share it all you like. For more information about this license, please visit creativecommons.org.